Thank you for being here. If you have your Bibles, take them and open them. However you get your Bible, whether it's an electronic form or book form. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab the one in the seat back in front of you and open up to the book of Jonah. I know this seems strange in the middle of the series that we've been doing, but hopefully that will all be cleared up here in just a moment. Jonah chapter 4. It's the last chapter of the book of Jonah. So open your Bibles. Jonah chapter 4, and we're just going to read the whole chapter. It's not very long. Hear the word of the Lord. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord. And anytime you see in your English translations the word LORD in all caps, um, that's the Hebrew name for God. Uh, they're changing that up. Uh, it is the, the name Yahweh. So Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews. Um, he prayed to Yahweh. Isn't this what I said, Yahweh, when I was still at home? That is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, and a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Yahweh, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But Yahweh replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Some of your translations will say, Is it well with you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down in a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then Yahweh God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head and ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a, do you, do you sense a theme here? A couple of words there? Provided a scorching east wind. And the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and he said it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. And I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But Yahweh said, You've been concerned about this plant Though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight. It died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hands from their left, and also many animals? And that's how it ends. It's the strangest ending of a book. Just leaves it right out there. God's concerned about the animals and people. Thus ends the reading. This is the Word of God for the people of God, and our response is, thanks be to God. Uh, We're having a a little break in the series. If you've been keeping track, um, we have been talking about Pentecost and the Holy Spirit's role. And over the last two weeks, we have talked about the Holy Spirit's role in prayer. And we were going to, we had talked about uh, what the Holy Spirit does. We had 
had a few tools um, to look at. So uh, two weeks ago, we looked at the Acts method of prayer, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, before we make our supplication or our asking God for something. Because there's something about the, ask, the, the praising God, the confessing, the thanksgiving that shapes what we ask. And last week, we, we looked at a, at a different method of prayer of realizing that God calls us to pray for those who are lost. And we, I had you write down someone's name, and I, I had you begin to ask God for opportunity. And I hope you did. I hope you prayed for that person. I hope you prayed for those opportunities. Um, and today, we were supposed to talk about the prayer of emptying. A prayer that is very much practicing through prayer uh, what Jesus did uh, and what Paul writes about in Philippians, where he emptied himself. And, and it's really on my heart. It's something that I've learned over the last two or three years, and I, I wanted to share that with you. But I feel like we need a break in, in the series for a second. Pastor Joe and I, Joe and I have been meeting weekly because he's our practicum student here. And a few weeks ago, we were talking about how do you plan a, you know, a sermon, years worth, a year's worth of sermons. And we talked about, uh, how the Holy Spirit helps me to do that and, and how I'm confident that God knows what's going to happen a few weeks out or more. And I'm okay with that. But I also put in that caveat, didn't I? That said sometimes the Holy Spirit just changes something. And I want to be obedient to that. So, we were supposed to be in Philippians today. We were supposed to talk about the prayer of self-emptying. But God laid this on my heart. And I'll tell you why in just a bit. But let's look at this, shall we? Because I think there is one more role of the Holy Spirit that we have not looked at. And that is the role of conviction. Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit will convict. Of sin. Of missing the mark. And even those things, you know, for Christians, uh, those places where maturity is still needing to take place. And so let's, let's look. Because we're jumping into the end of the story I've read to you. And so I want you to know a little bit more about Jonah. First of all, I want you to know that Jonah, in many ways, is very satirical. I mean, it just one, the one example of that is right in chapter one. Jonah's name is Jonah, son of Amittai. What that means for us, if you were to translate those two names, it means dove, son of faithfulness. Now, if you read this whole story, you will find out that Jonah is no dove. He's more like a lion with his anger and his frustration. And he is the most faithless person throughout the whole story. Jonah is not the hero of this story. We also need to a little bit de-vegetales this story because the whale is not the hero either. Who is the hero of this story? God. Yahweh. And this story reveals the character of God. And we are called to enter into this very funny story in some ways. When you, when you begin to read it, we'll see a little bit of this. I want you to know that Jonah was a historical figure. If you want to look in 2 Kings uh, chapter 14, verse 25, it's the only other place he's mentioned. And he's this prophet uh, of Yahweh, and uh, he gives a message of God to a very wicked king, uh, Jeroboam, and... Uh, 
And he is told to expand the Israeli empire. To go and capture a few cities that they had lost. And the king likes this message and listens to this message. And the king does capture those cities back for the kingdom of Israel. And then it just says he was a wicked king and he died and his son took over. That's all we know about Dove, son of faithfulness. Jonah, son of Amittai. So he does that. But then the word of the Lord, as we jump into our story, calls Jonah to prophesy to the enemies of Israel, the Ninevites. These were the baddest of the bad, the people you love to hate. They were wicked. They were violent. They, they crushed their enemies. They, they destroyed them utterly. And so we have Jonah now called to go and prophesy to the enemies. Now, for some of us, we think, well, I would be afraid to go too. You probably, I, I think the only example we have is if one of you were called to preach in Berlin in the 1940s. And to preach against the regime there. Yeah, we'd probably be a little scared. But we find out later, that's, that's not the driving factor for Jonah. We find out that he runs away. So he runs away. Now, now think about it. He runs away from God. Oh, come on, that's funny. I mean, he's, this is Yahweh. Later on, he's even going to tell the sailors, the one who made the land and the sea. And I'm going to run away from the God who made the land and the sea. Where? On the sea. <laughs> it's funny. You see the satire. You get this. It's hilarious. So God, this is interesting. There's that word again. God provides a storm. And the storm is, is tossed. And, and we see here is the prophet of God and he's asleep. It's interesting because it says that if you follow the story, it shows that he goes down to the coast. Then he goes down to the pier, down on the boat. And then he goes down in the boat and he's asleep. It's this progression down. And God sends the storm. And here's the prophet of God asleep. And what are all the sailors doing? Well, they're doing what sailors would do. They're, they're freaking out at this huge storm. And they are the ones who begin to pray. Now, they don't know Yahweh, so they try the shotgun approach. Alright, everybody pray to whatever God you believe in. Go! Maybe one of them. Maybe we'll, we'll find the right one who's angry and sent this storm and we're done. And eventually, they find out Jonah and they find Jonah and and they wake him up and they say, call to your God. And he says, I, I know what will happen. You just need to throw me overboard. They don't want to do that. These are good sailors. These are pagan sailors, but they're so good. They don't want to kill, uh, to kill Jonah. When finally Jonah tells them, throw me overboard and everything will be calm. They, they actually are the first ones to pray to Yahweh. They pray and they say, God, don't hold this against us. Um, we're just doing it because He told me so. We will be your servants. We will, we will follow you, okay? And uh, don't hold this against us. They chuck Him overboard. Now, there are some scholars who say, okay, well, Jonah was just one, was concerned about the sailors. But a few that I read about said, you know, people didn't take swimming lessons in the ancient Near East. And there are more than a couple that hinted at the fact that if there's one way to get out of doing what God wants you to do, that thing that you don't want to do, what is it? To die. 
And so, the one who has gone down from Jerusalem, down to the coast, down on the pier, down to the boat, down in the boat, now goes down in the ocean. And at the lowest point of his life, because I I have a hunch he just sunk like a rock. God what? Commands a fish. A giant fish to swallow him. At the lowest point of his life, his lowest point from running from God, God sends a fish. Strange, isn't it? So crazy, Jonah repents inside the fish, a beautiful prayer. And then the, the inner junior higher in all of us, uh, God, you know, vomit is in the Word of God. Did you know that? And bless your soul, teenagers. Fish vomits Jonah up. God has spared and saved Jonah's life. And He commands him again. And the command is the same. Go to Nineveh. Go and do that thing. And so, Jonah begrudgingly goes. I mean, just isn't this funny? I mean, here's this son of faithfulness. Now God heard your prayer in the belly of a fish. Somehow you were able to breathe underwater for three days in the belly of a fish. And here you are, and He heard your prayer, and He spits you out, and He asks you to go do that thing. He saved your life. Alright, I'll go. This is funny. This is satire. He's so faithful. How does he show that he goes begrudgingly? Well, he does the bare minimum. The Bible says the city of Nineveh was three days across. He goes in one day. One day's journey. He goes one third of the way. Doesn't even get to the city center. It's like, yeah, this is far enough. He preaches in Hebrew. It's a five word sermon. In a few days, Nineveh will be overturned. You kind of wonder if he just like walk, it'd be like walking into central, uh, you know, uh, wherever that place is in New York City, the beginning, you know, somewhere in New York City, and just kind of. I wonder if he just whispered in on a corner. <laughs> Five words, and in that in that prophecy, in that sermon, he doesn't mention God once, and he doesn't tell them what they did wrong at all. He just says, "In a few days, Nineveh will be overthrown." And it's so funny, because you can almost hear, it's like needle scratch on the record. Pause. Everybody looks at him. What did you say? And we see that he's wildly successful. All the people repent. The word gets all the way to the king that says the king takes off his royal robe, put on sackcloth and ashes, and he commands that everybody fast and everybody pray from himself all the way down to the cows. Yes, even the cows repented. The cows were more faithful than Jonah, son of faithfulness. Everybody repents. You'd think, I mean, just just imagine. I, I think I would just be. Would you? Would you not? You guys are preachers. Wouldn't you just love if you like walked in to say, like Las Vegas, and you just preached a five word sermon, and the entire town repented and came to God? Would that? I mean, you'd be celebrating, right? Like that's, that's huge. Jonah's response. After God relents, God sees how they've repented from the king to the cows. And He relents. And He decides not to overthrow them. Not to overturn them. And Jonah is ticked off. This is where we jump into our story. You see why we can't just stop with, with the conversion? You see why this isn't, doesn't make a good kid's story? This is for adults. This is something that you and I have to wrestle with. Jonah's angry. He's upset. We're, we're reading now back at the beginning of our passage. But to Jonah, this relenting God who loved the king to the cows, who repented, 
became, saw it as wrong, became very angry, and he prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Yahweh, when I was still at home, that I was trying to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish? I knew. Now, this passage right here, you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. This is kind of the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. It's quoted about 18 times, and first, it is quoted by God Himself about Himself. This is what God says about Himself. And Jonah, the son of faithfulness, throws it back in God's face. I knew you're gracious and you're compassionate and you're slow to anger and abounding in love and a God who relents from sending calamity. He is ticked. Now, Lord, so much so that He says, just take away my life for it's better for me to die than to live. He wanted, He shows, He wanted them destroyed. He didn't want them saved. He hated the Ninevites. And he wanted to see what God would do. But God, who is compassionate, slow to anger, relenting from calamity, approaches Jonah, dove, son of faithfulness, and says, is it right for you to be angry? Now, now hear this. Is it right for you to be angry? That's one verse. Then the very next verse, it just says, Jonah had gone out and sat down in a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. He doesn't, he's so mad, he doesn't even angry, ask God. Do they call that, is that ghosting? Teenagers, is that what they call it? Somebody texts you and you don't text them back? Jonah ghosts God. Just God asks him a question. He's just like, yeah. He just goes out. Builds a little shelter on the east side of town to see what would happen. I don't know if, if he thought, well, maybe they'll repent of their repentance and God will bring the destruction or, or what He will do, but He does that. And then we come to this interesting little thing. God, like a, like a beautiful therapist, comes in and tries a different way. The direct route isn't working, so He tries to sneak in the back door. And He provides a leafy plant. And it provides shade gives comfort to his head, eased Jonah's discomfort. And Jonah was happy about the plant. This is the only time in the whole book of Jonah where Jonah is happy. Little plant, little thing, right? Plant comes up, provides a little shade. He's happy. Only time. But then at dawn, you need that word. Again, it's the same word. God provided a storm. God provided a plant. God provided a worm and it chewed the plant so that it withered. And then God provided a scorching east wind that made him upset again. Brought him right back down, crashing to earth. I was happy for that little time. And now I just wish I could die again. You see, what what God is showing is that God's grace to others sometimes provides an opportunity for our own self-evaluation. Have you ever been there? Why are you blessing them? Haven't I done enough? What happened? It was so good. I had all those little things that happened. And now I'm just uncomfortable again. I knew you were that kind of God. I knew you did that. 
But the Lord doesn't give up because he's what? Slow to anger, compassionate, abounding in steadfast love, relents from calamity. Comes to him again and says, you've been concerned about this plant. Let's talk about that. You didn't cause it to grow. You didn't cause it to fade. And yet you became so attached to it and so angry when it was gone. He said, now, let's flip that. Shouldn't I be concerned about a great city with 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left hand? They're just ignorant. They're not evil. They're just ignorant. And shouldn't I be concerned about them and the animals? And there's a reason why the book ends right there. Because you and I, the reader, are called to step into the shoes of Jonah and realize where our anger lies, where our frustration with God lies, where where our enemies are, and it puts a laser focus on your life and on my life and begins to say something to us. We have to answer that question. When God is gracious to others, what are we what is our response? Now what does this mean to me? I told you I felt this very, very strongly this week why I would interrupt a series that's been planned for months. Many of you know and have been praying for Lori to get a job at Kalamazoo Valley Community College. And we saw some amazing things happen. We knew she was losing her contract at Spring Arbor because they're downsizing. And all of a sudden, here's this job that pops up right in town. And God's been doing all these amazing things. And, and here we're going and we're excited. And she has an interview and she nails it. And the second interview, she doesn't even have a voice, but she nails it. She moves on to a third interview. It goes so well, she finds out she's down to two. It's her and one other person. And Monday, before she entered into her time of retreat, she got an email that, that she didn't get it. I've spent most of this week being Jonah. Can I just, is that okay for a pastor to confess? I spent most of this week being Jonah. I was so angry. And so upset. God, we had this all planned out. Don't you know what kind of testimony we were going to give to you? When you provided this all the way along. And I'll never forget the moment I read that last question that you and I are called to wrestle with. It hit me like a ton of bricks. Because God, it was as if God Himself were just saying to me, am I only allowed to be gracious to you and your family and your church? What about the candidate who actually got the job? Can I be gracious to them too? Can they be excited about getting a job and starting a career and doing all those things? It hit me like a ton of bricks because right before those questions were asked, my answer would have been, No! You were supposed to do it my way. 
So I, I've been Jonah. I've been Jonah. It's easy to get attached. And God has done some great things providing shade for us, has He not? I mean, good grief. Look at the ten four goals and the ways that God has planned and, and benefited us and sent us. And maybe, just maybe, this is God providing a worm and providing some opportunity for me to check my own agenda. And to check my own heart. As the Holy Spirit does to convict me of the place that I still need to grow. That I'm ready to give God praise and say you're so worthy when we're calling associate pastors and sending international trips and we're, we're breaking uh, attendance goals and we're, we're doing all these things. But what about when it doesn't work the way I think it should work? And so I, I've had to take the last couple of days and, and say, oh God, you are worthy even when it doesn't work out my way. And I've spent some time, even just this morning, praying that God will bless that college, those students who go to that teacher, whoever they, he or she is, I don't even know who it is. But God bless them and help them and make it a good thing and make it a career. It's a tenure track. I hope they get tenure. I hope it's a a wonderful career. And they just bless our community and bless that school in incredible ways. And in the meantime, we'll wait and we'll praise and we'll worship and we'll trust that you're going to provide. Okay. So what about you? What does it mean for you to be asked that question? Or maybe, who is it about for you? Is there someone who has done something to you or just ticked you off or, or, or done that thing and you, you just, ugh, every time you think of them, you're just so upset and it just seems like everything seems to work out for them. Everything seems to be blessing them. Who is that for you? Can you hear? Can you step into the shoes of Jonah for just a little bit today? And say, oh God. <laughs> yeah. You're God. You you get to determine who you bless. You get to do that. And you're still worthy. And oh, there's still some work in my heart if I'm still holding this deep of a wound and grudge against them. Heal me. Help me. Where are you? See, we're all Jonah at one point in our lives or another. It's just how we answer the question that determines what the Holy Spirit will do. Because it's still true, my friends. He is still a God full of compassion, full of steadfast love, faithful to the end, and will relent from any calamity when we turn to Him. Maybe that's why Jesus gave us This beautiful symbol. Because he knew that there would be other Jonas. Did you know there are some scholars who think that uh, the story of the prodigal son and the older brother is really just a riff on the whole story of Jonah? Tells the same thing. Ends the same way. There's just no big fish or vomit. But Jesus, 
on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, which required for God to provide wheat that grew. But then that wheat had to be cut and harvested and crushed. And the flames had to be turned up in order to bake it so that God could give it to you and bless you, Jonah. However you see yourself as Jonah, you would need that symbol to remember, oh, it was blessing and there was growth and there was withering and there was heat and baking. You needed juice that grew on a vine and it was beautiful. How many of you have ever walked through a vineyard around here? We've got a bunch of them. It's just gorgeous, isn't it? When fall comes and the, the, they're on the vine and everything is beautiful and you just want to see it and there's gorgeous plants. And yet it also had to be cut and it also had to be crushed. So God provides the beauty of the plant and God provides the cutting and the crushing in order for you, Jonah, and me, Jonah, to receive Blessing as we wrestle with the question. So I want to say to you that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he did a lot of beautiful things and he endured a lot of betrayal and suffering too. But on the night he was betrayed, he took that bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. And this is my blood shed for you. Take and drink. And we believe in our church that somehow God takes this little bit of bread and this little bit of juice and somehow Jesus is present in the midst of it. And you are called to take Christ into you who will help you through the power of His Holy Spirit to answer the Jonah question. And that question is, is He worthy? And somehow Jesus will help you to say, He is. He is. He is. So I want you to know today, if you're new with us, if you're a guest with us, um, you don't have to be a member of this church to take communion. If you're wrestling with the Jonah question and you want to be able to say, He is worthy, and something in what has been said today has made you hungry for this kind of God who is loving and compassionate, then you are welcome to come. Don't hold back. Don't hold back. Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You for Your blessing. The blessing of the ways that You have caused things to grow in our life and Your provision when those things seem to wilt away. The blessing of wrestling with the Jonah question The question of, are you still worthy when it's hard? Are we willing to surrender to you and your ability to bless who you desire? That you might know more about the story, about the world, about life than we do. So I pray, oh God, that as we take what has been grown and cut and crushed and baked for our behalf, that we would be able to answer in the affirmative because we serve the One 
who though he was in the very form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be used for his own benefit. He was good and growing. And he humbled himself. He emptied himself. He became like us. And he was obedient even unto death. Help us through this one simple act to declare our faith in that God. For it's in His name we ask these things. Amen. And now, may you, my brothers and sisters, may you experience in the next weeks and months the God who provides. The God who provides shade and things of comfort. And the God who provides storms and worms and hot east winds that is still blessing and still calls you to maturity, to repentance, and uses His Holy Spirit to convict us in ways that cause us to grow. And may you experience in all of it the God who abounds in compassion and steadfast love, who is faithful and loves to relent on those who turn to Him. I pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Go in His name and bless those that you come in contact with. Go in peace.